you so much. <laughs> that's okay. That's probably enough for me to, to get the bass levels and hopefully filter out the rain. Um, oh, hi, guys. So, uh, you don't have to shut up just because she's talking to them. You know what? Don't ever shut up because of me. No, you're not, not in you the cupboard ever. anymore. You're free. You're free from the cupboard. So you have the right to speak. We talked about it. You're here on privileges. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. She's got a point there. Who taught you how to say that? <laughs> um, hi, welcome to chapter four. Of the Continental Writing Club. Yay! Welcome back. Guess who has a voice? That that would be Brenna. Yeah. She did not sell her voice to a witch in order to get legs. Turns out she already had the legs. She didn't need to sell her voice, so she got it back. Full refund. Mm -hmm. Full refund. I mean, you could have had four legs. It could have been like Centaur Brenna. Yeah, but then... Brenna Tor. Brenna Tor. Have you ever seen the Mantar? Half man, half another man. <laughs> what? Half man, half another man. Oh my god! It's a great fucking picture too. Very well done. Talk amongst yourselves. I don't know what to say. After yeah, that. I'm actually very oh, confused by the visuals. You know, what we should say while she's looking that up is, guess what? We have reached over 100 downloads. Yes, thank you so much, everybody. We're for at like 120. We yeah. had a huge spike the other day, so thank yeah. you to whoever is listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with us, and welcome to all of our newcomers. Yeah, we hope you, we don't disappoint you. I will. I will disappoint <laughs> you, but I really appreciate you just sticking it through because they are funny. The majestic Mantar. Half man, half another man. <laughs> she has pulled up an image uh, on the Googles, and it is disturbing. Why? It's why, a mantar. I don't know how else you describe that. Why do his feet look like that? They're like a tree, and a frog had a weird foot baby, and it became this creepy paw thing. No. No, don't get <laughs> it closer Can to I me. see that better? Can I it's see that just better? hands. They're just hands. They're not just hands. They're creepy and, like, webbed and... Well, okay, but if you could Wrong. use your hands for feet, you'd probably, like, get better. I'd probably, what, have feet? Yeah, monkeys already did that. He That's probably feet. a feet now. He has feet in the back. His, technically, his rear legs are feet, but his... So what do you call those? Front legs his are... fans. Part his leg, part hot. hand. <laughs> they're I think they're just they're part poorly nightmare. drawn hands. <laughs> they're part nightmare is what they are. That's a disturbing picture. I mean, You're welcome. Thanks, uh, man. Also, Tor. Are we... She, once again, is the farthest one from the phone. Should we move this closer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, we're terrible at sound. We're working. It's okay. Right. I'll cut all this out. We're just terrible at aim. Probably most of the Mantar stuff, too, because nobody needs to listen to me Googling shit. <laughs> but during the Googling, we were talking about winning listeners. Winning listeners. Winning listeners? You're not a prize, listeners. We a little bit of a prize. need you. Yes, we'll spend several more dollars than we intended to spend at the fair trying to get you, but you're not a prize. They just look so tantalizing when they hang up above next to those pink gorillas and, I'm and like, green snakes. I can throw a ball. It's fine. You, so you have to throw five more. Mm-hmm. Five dollars worth more. That's like twelve more. Then you got to argue with the now. carny running it, and you're like, dude, the ring went over the thing. It should count. He's like, it's got to hit the bottom. <laughs> I blinked. You better do it again. <laughs> it's fine, you guys. I don't waste too much money at fairs. Isn't that the entire point? Yes. That and getting food poisoning off a of funnel cake? It's only food poisoning if you spin it too high a velocity. Mm. I thought that's when it wasn't food poisoning. Oh. <laughs> it's all the other times, right? <laughs> yeah, when you're just walking along and going, Whoop. I've actually never gotten sick from fair food. Ever. Like, I've, I've gotten a little bit dizzy and sick from, like, rides and stuff. Exactly. But I've also never eaten funnel cake at a fair. So. What? Oh. That's where you eat funnel cake. That's, like, the only place you eat funnel cake. That's this res. We've literally had this discussion, Regan, when we went to the fair uh, over by the waterfront. And then we were like... Discussing the difference between elephant ears and fry bread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I've never had the funnel cake. But that's okay. I don't need the funnel cake. It sounds disgusting, quite honestly. It's delicious when you're anywhere from the ages of one to 13. You're in that magical space that Reagan exists in at all times where all where things that those age group yeah. children enjoy is always good to me. I'm not going to lie to you. I will go to town on some cotton candy. I'm kind of over it. No, I love it. It cuts the roof of your mouth, and it's like, why? It are you cuts the roof of your mouth. Yes, sponge if sugar you... will cut your mouth. Yes, I mean I can, you can see press where it you're with your tongue, from. and it becomes little crystal shards that just mm. 
cut you like an angry person on a street corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you feel about cotton candy. Well, apparently you guys do not have the same experiences with street corners and cotton candy. Maybe I have more saliva than you do. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I've not considered how much saliva you have in your <laughs> mouth before. Not a thing I've Just considered. ever so much. And if I don't have enough, I washed it down with beer. So <laughs> There you go. Beer and sugar. Uh, did the we perfect combo. way off topic for the start Super of the episode? Super off topic. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, wait, 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 wait. Let's start again. Let's start again like professionals. Because that's what we are. No, we're not. We are amateurs pretending to be professionals. <laughs> we're just amateurs. Okay, you guys. Hi, welcome to the Continental Writing Club. It's chapter four. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Whose prompts were at this time? Oh, also, I keep doing this. I keep saying oh and then interrupting. Yeah, you're you're derailing yourself. We have more fan art. We have a second batch of fan art. Which we should probably put on the interwebs. I was waiting to do it every other week, so yeah, there was oh. a, there was a plan there. There was a thought in my brain as to why I delayed. I'm into but it, but there's more on the way, so check that shit out. Yeah, and if you uh, if you also feel inspired to draw some some doodly shit, and you want to like write anything, just you know send us all of your submissions because we nerd out so hard about it. Oh, we do. We do. It's very true. Yeah. Very true. It's like a running group chat that has just exploded with emojis because of the shit. <laughs> I mean, it's it's full of emojis usually anyway, but... Don't tell them that. Extra it. emojis. cheapened it. No, they have to think we use words, not pictures. All the time. Words. Look, I communicate in GIF, all right? <laughs> do you mean GIF? No, I do not. <laughs> only choosy moms use GIF. Oh, God, I only say that because of your faith, but it's worth it every time. Welcome to episode four. Chapter four. <laughs> All right, the prompts were mine. <laughs> By the way, um, I'm Amy. For oh, those yeah. of you who haven't listened to the other episodes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Amy, I'm a, I'm a, what are you, what are you drinking? Amy, oh, uh, I'm drinking a shilling hard cider. It's the London Dry because if there's any sugar in my hard ciders, it gives me an immediate headache. Yeah, you are a delicate flower. Uh, uh, and so I, is you. well, yes, I'm, I'm a hardy, resilient desert flower plant. Cacti. <laughs> Probably just a stick. It's <laughs> Probably just a stick in the desert. <laughs> so hi, I'm Brenna. Um, I have my voice back. I'm super excited about it. And this week I am drinking a Fort George Vortex IPA, which is a delicious beer. I'm Reagan. Uh, I'm not a stick, nor am I a flower. I don't know what the hell I am. Probably some kind of weird poisonous thing lizard that, that also would, eats yeah. other plants. Can I be a Venus flytrap? I'd like to be a Venus flytrap. Did you know those are from Virginia? I did not. I learned that the other month. What huh. a fun fact you just shared with the entire world. Huh. You're I mean, welcome. I'm fascinated. <laughs> also, uh, I am drinking a Fort George Cavatica Stout. I think that's right. Yeah, I don't know I, why I said it was such a question mark. Yeah, you really said it quietly and like <laughs> pensively. Yeah. Uh, that's what happens when I read and speak at the same time. I get confused, <laughs> questioning, quiet. Where am I? Who am I? Drinking a stout. It's all right. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the prompts were mine. Uh, back, back again, uh, full circle. <laughs> Once again, and we are sorely lacking in video because Reagan just danced and it was very amusing. It was a back, back, back dance. I also just want to like share with whoever is listening. Um, we really do value your time, but on the other hand, we've had like about a half a beer each. That's not that much. It's not, but it's we've had. I feel like it's for me. It's been a long week. Do you need Do you need a beer to be at this level that we're at? No, <laughs> I didn't think so. I just need sleep deprivation. I just check. I just feel like if you could just suggest that the audience have a beer before they listen, it would make Ooh, more sense. Drink with us. Oh wait, does that? Are we going to have to add extra warnings when we encourage our audience to drink with us? I mean, I already marked the podcast as explicit. explicit. Actually, I really like this. We swear. I I hereby challenge the Continental Writing Club. Let's come up with a drinking game for ourselves. Oh, God. Yeah, so that the listeners can drink along every time we do something like hear my stomach grumble or my cat. Then you have to take a drink. Every time Reagan sings. Yeah, exactly. And we'll cut most of that out so you won't even know. We'll just tell you to drink and you're just going to have to assume that somewhere there's a Reagan singing. And every time you hear a (laughs) cut during the bloopers at the end, take a drink because that's all me. (laughs) You can't always hear those cuts, though. No, you really can't. Because you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Just drink the entire time, just in case you're missing one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the bloopers are only, what, like a minute? Just just take one giant gulp. <laughs> I, think, I believe that's called a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. Is. There you go. Yeah. All right. Anywho. Also, Mom, don't oh my drink. God. I believe in you. <laughs> Prompt one. A ceremony. Prompt two. 
Pick a bookshelf of your choice, second shelf, eighth book from the left, write a story that fits the title. An artist, this is prompt three, sorry. An artist can no longer work in their chosen medium. Do they quit or change? Anyway, uh, I believe that means that Reagan, you will be reading first. Yup. Oh boy. Okay. I personally thought that the bookshelf one was so exciting and I had wanted to do that. That's in my list of prompts to recommend because I think it's great to have to not even have an actual subject matter, but just random title, open a book to random page, that kind of thing where it's totally beyond control. So when you said that that was one of the prompts, I was like, fuck yeah, I'm doing that one. My options were slim, but the one I ended up with was... Wait, can I just pause you there? Your options were slim. I've been to your house. You have like five bookshelves. Right, but it had to be specific, like... So you get, you have a lot of choices between the second shelf down and eighth book I mean, book I think over. we all have the same amount of choices. We all have many. I mean, I tried. Shelf. I tried the library. Oh shit, dude! <laughs> I was I was at the the university library, and I was walking by, and I was like, suddenly I just stopped and was like, this shelf right here. Let's see what it is. It was a book entirely in Hebrew. I couldn't even have told you what it was. Well, <laughs> I'm. Mine were yeah. The the bookshelf I ended up using of all my options. I chose my fiction and sci-fi, predominantly sci-fi and fiction bookshelf, and the book I got was Harry Potter, uh, The Goblet of Fire. So the title I'm working off of is The Goblet of Fire. You mean Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire by the infamous J.K. Rowling? Uh, it's similar, but it's not the same one. It's not that same book? It's the same book. You know what I mean. Just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Okay, fine. You're right. Does anybody right. not know? I believe it. Did. I mean, who else writes Harry Potter? I. I mean, I guess it. You know I what? Mean, I don't know. Two shelves down, it could have been the Chinese version. Halibuta. Halibuta. Yeah. And I don't know how to say Goblet of Fire. There Chinese. is that ripoff that the Ru- that the Russians did because they don't have copyright laws. What is there? Is it actually Harry Potter? It's. I think they changed like the name and it's gary it's like gary putter <laughs> and but it's like the exact same story huh. that's all awesome. complete fucking ripoff she gets no money for it that's russia i'm doing it right wrong doing it wrong you guys gave me looks <laughs> yeah. all right mm-hmm. harry potter by jk rowling and the goblet of fire that's a weird way to phrase that yeah you like the book is by author name <laughs> in the <laughs> middle of her jk title. rowling's <laughs> Uh, it's like okay the JK are uh, at the book any god tweet a JK way too long. tweet a JK right now JK we got a thing we want to ask you alright her room was dark it was often dark this was nothing new yet she understood that a change was coming a light would creep under a door a bustle of motion would be heard and then they would come for her she saw her attendance every day of course for meals bathing and the like the disturbance to her quiet little world would be different This disturbance to her quiet little world would be different. She could always sense the change in the air that heralded another questioning. She wasn't sure how she felt about the questionings. She didn't have feelings, really. She rarely even thought much. She just observed. She observed the brick walls and their topographical faces. She observed the beams of light as they paced in unhurried orbit across her room each day. She observed the way her hair fell as she played with it, and the way her skirts crumpled and shifted around her legs as she moved. None of these things had much bearing on her life, but she observed them all the same. And she observed them because they were all she had. She was gifted, they told her. She was magic. Sometimes she thought it was a curse, but she couldn't understand how else she would live her life. The routine of her days and years played out like a metronome. Tick, tick, tick precise and undisturbed. They said it was important for her abilities to work properly, for her mind to see clearly, for her heart to know. She never spoke to the attendants when they entered her room, and they never spoke to her. They thought that words were important, but it wasn't the words. There was more to it. Candlelight snuck in beneath the thin gap of her doors, a warm and tender glow amid all the shadowed blues of her twilight room. She watched it and waited, three heartbeats, and then the door clicked and swung open. Two attendants entered, both wearing veils, as usual. One went to the wardrobe and selected the clothing that would be worn that evening. The other approached so that they might tend to hair and presentation. They would help her through all these small tasks which she normally did herself, and she did not mind. She did not think much of anything about it, for it was normal. Their hands moved quickly and never lingered. It was as if touching her was painful, or perhaps they were afraid, ashamed, 
She couldn't tell. She just knew that this, too, was normal. When she was made ready for the questioning, she stood before her one mirror and gazed upon herself, seeing but not feeling. Their choices were always the same. She was to look simple, unimpressive, but sharp, like a blade sheathed in midnight shadows, dangerous but not yet threatening. There was potential for beauty, but it was downplayed. She was to be non-partial, dressed in no style, biased to no nation, no age, no opinion. The black shift dress hugged just enough to prove she was woman, but to deny the viewer anything further. The neck was high, and the sleeves were long, and the hem sat just above her ankles, a mere breadth beneath where her boots ended. These two were black and simple, matte as to garner no interest. Her hair was pulled back in a bun at the base of her neck, just enough curve to hint at the bulk of tresses she usually let drift down her back. Her skin was like ancient marble, cold and milky, so transparent in places that her veins were visible, delicate branches reaching up her wrists and inner elbows, her temples and her throat. She looked cold and fragile, but she had lived longer than most could ever hope, and she would persist for longer still. As demure and plain as they made her, they could do nothing about her eyes. Though she looked a corpse, her eyes were alive. Tiny pinpoint pupils were near engulfed by vivid blue fire irises. The bands and fibers shifted, expanding and contracting like dancing flames. She saw more than anyone with those burning eyes, though she could form very little opinion on it. The attendants led her from her room, down the short hall to the questioning hall. She liked the hall very much. Unlike her sparse chambers, the hall was magnificent. Gold filigreed molding hugged every curve and angle of the vaulted ceiling, yet more dripped off of throne-like chairs cushioned in luscious plums and reds. Mosaic images decorated alcoves that disappeared in flickering shadows outside the wavering pools of light that the candles cast. She had never been able to make out the scenes depicted in them, and she probably never would, and that didn't bother her too much. At the front of the hall was a plain dais made of some ancient stone, and upon that was a simple wooden chair with the thinnest of cushions. It was spare, like everything else intended for her, and she liked them almost as much as she liked the ostentatious glitter and comfort of the rest of the hall. The attendants led her to her seat, and she lowered herself gracefully down and rested her hands in her lap, where they would remain throughout the ceremony. Behind her, she could feel the night shifting, rotating slowly, purposefully around its axis, bringing the moon closer. Soon, its silver edges would creep into the broad rose window at her back, and then the questioning would begin. She watched without watching all the people in the audience, those rich and not, those lucky persons who had somehow gained audience with her. They were usually as grand as the hall, dripping in expensive lace and silk. Sometimes there were simpler among them, and those she always liked to see, for sight of them meant a real question, not something trivial like who would wed who. Tonight was such a night. Sprinkled among the silk were cottons and wools all in the dark colors of mourning, as it was a grave event that they had come to pay witness to, and often meant great loss for a number of those present. The moon breached the curve of the window, and the audience grew still, silent as the stones beneath their feet, silent as she was. She watched them. The attendants gestured for them to begin, and one by one, the questing members of the audience sent their secret keepers up. They weren't always secret keepers, of course, for the poor could not afford such luxuries. The stand-ins were often afraid of her, hesitated, fumbled and fidgeted, and they spoke far too loudly. She didn't mind when they spoke loudly. The discomfort in the room was interesting to watch. Those moments were rare, though. Even without the telltale markings, she could tell which were true keepers and which were simply tasked with the bearing of the words. The professionals, though often branded with locks at throat and ear, were evident in the way they carried themselves and in the way they spoke. The first to approach was one such as this. He stepped lightly with eyes downcast, used to avoiding attention, for what good was a secret in the hands of a boisterous fool? No, they were often quiet and plain, easily overlooked unless you spotted their marks. This one very nearly blended into the flagstones as he came to a stop next to her. With care, he leaned close, as close as he dare, his jaw very nearly brushing her cheek. And then he whispered his secret, the words he had been tasked with, his master's quest. He whispered so faint that the secret barely met the shell of her ear, a mere suggestion of words. But it wasn't about understanding the words. It was about the act, the secrets passing from the keeper to the fire. It was not the words they whispered. It was not 
the smells the keepers brought with them, or the tones they issued the secrets in, or what they looked like. She could sense something more, something other. As they leaned close and spoke their secrets to her softly, she felt more than heard their meanings. With them came colors and shapes, illustrating histories she couldn't possibly know. If the whisper was bird, she heard sky and flight and freedom. She heard seasonal changes and early morning food hunting. She heard bitter winds and wings to navigate them. And if they spoke bird but meant some rival house whose crest it sat upon, she would know that, too, even having never witnessed such a thing. They didn't have to tell her anything about the secrets. The rest came to her as it was needed. She couldn't explain it, and neither could her attendants, or those who sought her out. She had simply been this way, and this was simply what she lived for. This was her purpose, and she thought that perhaps it would continue to be her purpose long after she had died her quiet death. She would sit upon this stone for as long as there were questions. For now, though, she had only to sit for a full day, from moonrise to moonrise, never moving, always in sight but out of reach. The audience would come and go at their leisure, always with deadly silence and respect. She was to hear nothing but their questions, so the attendants demanded. But really, it didn't matter. It was the giving of a secret that mattered, and nothing else touched her. For a day, she would hear the secrets and their reverberations over and over again, clashing in her mind, echoing, fighting, dying out. And though she never understood any of it, though none of it meant a thing to her, at the end of a full day, she always knew the right choice. One or two would push themselves to the front of her mind's eye until they had drowned out all the others, and when the moon rose again, she would speak only those that she could still hear. It was the only time she ever spoke, and she relished it. There was a power in each syllable, a weight of lives in every consonant, the cries of loss in every vowel. She knew her words changed nations at times, but this did not frighten her. She did not hesitate, for she knew her answers were the truth and could not be disobeyed. Fate wouldn't allow it. As the second night fell over the hall, the audience filed back to their seats. Hours of tense silence weighed the gilded cherubs down from the ceiling. She had known the answers for near half the day already, but there were times when changes occurred at the last moment, so she held to her ceremony. She held to the last inches of darkness. The moon crept its way into the circle window at her back, and as she felt the familiar feather-light touch, like the hand of a mother gently resting on her shoulder, she began to speak the answers. She watched as veiled figures dropped from their seats, crying in distress, shouting in defiance. Still, she spoke until there was nothing left to say. A man lunged at another, but was separated only after blood streamed from a shattered nose. A chair was thrown in rage. A woman wailed in agony. When she had finished speaking the answers, she fell silent. Her stillness was deep and unmovable amid the sea of distress and sparse notes of glee. Her task was done, and the exhaustion washed over her drowning out the voices of the audience. Quietly, the attendants would come to her and guide her back to her room. They would help her undress and bathe her, and then she would sleep. As her eyes shut, she thought only of the bricks and the moonlight and her simple bed around her. All right, many an interruption out of the way. <laughs> Yay! Great story. Thank you. Yes. Um, one of the things that I love that you do is you... There's a certain style of, of fantasy that you write that's very... Gothic is not the right word, but it's the one that's springing to mind. Like, very ornate yes. and heavy. <laughs> like, it has a, a... It's opulent. That's a good word for it. I do love me some overly filigreed nonsense. Rococo! <laughs> yes! <laughs> I was gonna say, but you beat me to it. I do love Rococo. I actually really like and how, gothic. too, in your story, it's not just the opulence and not just Rococo. Um, it's, like, I feel like that's going to be your thing. Also, yeah. I just want to say, for any of those people listening, I know that Rococo, Rococo, and Gothic are not the same thing. No. Don't think that I'm, I just like them both, comma, Gothic, comma, Rococo. It's not, I'm not assuming. I went to art school. I know the difference. Continue, Brenna. Okay, they never questioned you. <laughs> so that's all you. Um, no, I was just going to say that I really like how you pull the, um, the the old stories, the old mythology, the old, uh, like whether it's fairy tale or oracles or this, this idea of like land magic, you always pull from this, this idea, this mysticism, um, that sort of permeates our culture and we don't necessarily always discuss. And I really like how that's an influence in your work. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I mean, we all know. Yeah. I love all the mystic stuff and the, yeah. 
Clearly, it's in everything I do. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think it's fantastic, and it, it makes a very definite style to your writing. Nice. Yeah, and that is not at all how I would have understood the God of Fire until you wrote that <laughs> shit. Yeah, so I guess in case people haven't read that book, which, I mean... You should. Stop listening to this podcast. Go read all of Harry Potter. <laughs> you can do both at not at the same time, but like <laughs> when you're not reading, you don't have to read all of the Harry Potters and then come back and listen. In one sitting. Don't. No. Bathroom no. breaks, no. Food no. breaks, no. Uh, but Just booze. My... Just booze and Harry Potter. Which is <laughs> not a bad way to go. But... Booze and Potter. Booze and Potter. Um, I, I, I wasn't thinking so much about the book story as I was the actual object, the actual Goblet of Fire. And in my head, I was remembering it being made of stone, mm-hmm. which is why I made her all marbly and cold and cold and like Rocket, dead. And that's why her eyes were so fiery? Yeah, well, because of the fire and the yeah, goblet. Because yeah, of the blue fire. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> then I reread them and also saw art for the movie and can't remember what it looked like in the movie because I just can't remember. I'm sorry, guys. Not stone. I think it's wood. Yeah. I think it's fully wood, so. I feel like Whatever. the movie adaptation definitely had like more of a Holy Grail influence going yeah. for it. Um, and by Holy Grail influence, I mean, like, my understanding of the Indiana Jones influence of the Holy Grail. Like a goblet, yeah. Like, yeah, it was like, this is a, this is a nondescript cup that you would never notice, if exactly. not, but it's very magical. Yeah. Um, and I do remember thinking in the books, though, that it was also stone. It was either on a stone pedestal or, or something. Or the case that it was in. I remember it being in a case, so they had yeah. to take it out, and, like, there were charms. But I might be just ima- embellishing that with my own imagination. Who knows? Well, I like your embellishments but, yeah. if they are that. So I imagine the magical item being originally a human, that when she died, the power stayed, and maybe they carved a chalice out of her bones. Who knows? People do that shit, right? It's Ooh, cool. Bone chalice. Bone chalice. Drinking out of skulls. Right? Isn't that a thing? It's a thing. Totally. Yeah, thing. it's definitely not a thing that I currently do. That's a joke. That polish is great. <laughs> Water drink. <laughs> That's a joke, everyone. Uh, often. Often. That bothers the fuck out often. of me. Often. Oh, it sounds wrong, though. Often. 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 Oh, so both are acceptable yeah. pronunciations. Both are acceptable. I say often, but I hate it, and I want often it. Is often is the primary one. Often is the secondary. Okay, cool. Anyway. Often is technically correct as well. We looked that up, and that is jacked. I like to say, okay, like it depends on the context. So, like when I'm talking about how often I do something, I just say often. Don't even think about it. But if I'm like reading something aloud, or if I'm like really trying to exaggerate something, I'd be like, how often does that happen? That's fair. Yeah. And so, like, I think it's context based and usage, and okay. whichever way you read it is going to be acceptable. All yeah, right. Now I'm going to read it weird. It's going to be it's going to be a weird thing. Don't Just, say often. Don't say often. <laughs> Twas often dark. Um. Actually, that works. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great story. Really liked it. I guess I would I clap, but then apparently that fucks up all audio. Yeah. Stop clapping, Brenna. Working on it. <laughs> I really like your story. I do as well. I realized after I wrote it how, like, I didn't realize it at the time because so much goes in between when we write and read and write and write that it reminds me a lot of your acolyte, not acolyte, anchorite story. Hmm. There's a woman, in case she's lonely and stone, and it was like, starts out very similar. (laughs) Not the same projection or life, but kind of the same life. And now... (laughs) <laughs> for something completely different. For something completely fucking different. Um, Tell us about your prompt. <laughs> okay, well, you know, there were some prompts this week. You made them. You made all the prompts. Which one did you choose, lady? I chose an artist who can't do their shit no more. Mm, and uh, and then how do they cope with it? Um, because I decided to write about one of my biggest fears ever. <laughs> Which is the ability to, you know what, I'll save that for the end. There you go. And I will just now, uh, now I'll read you my story, which um, now I'm going to, I'm going to put a picture up of sort of how my writing is um, on social media just to kind of help share it. But this is not a story that was ever meant to be read aloud. Um, You know that we're doing a podcast now and that's great. But when we started the Continental Writing Club, it was actually just supposed to be friends and writers sharing stories with each other. And doing stories with visual cues is uh, something I'm pretty passionate about. So I definitely did that this time, and I have no idea how I'm going to read it aloud. Bear with me. Okay, so my story is called A Rose by Any Other St. Michael. TBI was TBD. No, 
TBI was ETA. TBI was arrived. TBI present. Santa Claus was missing a preposition that Grammar had demanded for comma. Kamikaze. The nurse administered a shot, and she calmed down. Everything was now thick and jumbled, like an oatmeal muesli, but because of her traumatic brain injury and following schizophagia, or even dementia, it seemed much more like jam or vacuum. All of this frustrated Ellen, one of two survivors of a head-on collision. Drunk drivers, MRIs, and mountains of remorse for everyone involved. Ellen's mother accompanied her most places now. She was here, watching the nurse wince slightly as she tried to calm her daughter, tried to soothe the stream of almost understandable sentences. Ellen had a rare form of schizophagia, and rather than losing her language and awareness of the things and concepts that language conveyed, she had apparent full understanding of the things she saw and heard, but could not produce more than a shaken word salad. She's a great author, her mother said aloud, surprising even herself. My Ellen has won many literary awards. This will clear up in time, won't it? Mrs. Waskoff, the doctor began, slowly and deliberately choosing her words. The scans we are taking now will help us understand the amount of damage to Alan's brain, and whether this is a permanent condition or not. Essentially, we'll need time to determine that, but this isn't a well-studied syndrome and is as a symptom of many mental illnesses and diseases. Because it came on suddenly after a car accident, we think there is a good chance that the swelling, which is still rather significant, is a direct influence. Now, Alan drowned them all out. She bit her mind and stopped considering whether doctors could be wizards of old country that genaddled her body. She was so closet, closet, too. Small things in big spaces that she daren't firefly. All made her sharp and dull. Fuck this. When she next looked up and around the room, instead of struggling inside herself, the conversation was over. Her mother was crying quietly into a little and well-used tissue, and the nurse was cooing softly that she couldn't accept the book her mother had apparently forced upon her. It was her first book, too, not the latest in the collection that her mother was insisting the nurse take. No, no, please, you've been so helpful over the last few weeks, and it, it's so beautiful. I, I, I just want you to understand how her mind is, to see. I can't accept the gift, ma'am, and I appreciate it, but I know she's a clever lady. This hospital sees patients with beautiful minds that have been hurt badly. I understand. I do. People will treat her like an idiot. They won't take her seriously anymore. They never, 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 fuck, Ellen said. Her voice, a little hard. Her tone was what she was most in control of. Her mother looked up, smiled at her with her eyes and with a closed mouth. Watch your language, dear, she said. And the mother and the daughter laughed to each other, reveling in the return of some humor to their lives. When she slept, Ellen still got flashes of the car accident, everything turning and bouncing around her in ways it did not normally do. Her cell phone had been the last thing she remembered hitting her head, though it was not the only thing that hit her head, or her head was hit against. She tried to think of ways she could tell her mother that she now resented the case on her phone, like that mattered at all. She blamed the cell phone more than she blamed the drunk driver, who also survived. The drunk driver's passengers had not survived, and though he ended up losing his left arm, he would have traded places with any of them. Ellen had heard he had begged the nurses to kill him when he came to. The media had written headlines about the man who killed his whole family and severely wounded a famous author. Ellen sometimes wished she could have traded him injuries. Ellen's mother dreamt of the accident, too, in the way that mothers will always dream of their children. She blamed herself for something she had no influence over at all, as women often do. The schizophagia did not pass when the swelling in her brain reduced, though it did improve some. Ellen suffered a small stroke and two surgeries before she left the hospital. She moved out of her apartment and moved in with her mother. While it was not exact, her mother actually understood more than anyone else when she spoke, and could wave away the extra or wrong words that spilled from her mouth. It was with her mother's help that nearly three years later, Ellen published another work. If you like, like, house of leaves, umbrella fixture, this, Ellen said happily, holding the first edition copy of her book, beaming to her mother. Yes, or Fowers Tree of Codes. Her mother giggled like a schoolgirl. 
This was a small and common delight for her mother that she used her impressive vocabulary incorrectly and without wincing. The first year after the accident was a very frustrating one. It was also a small delight to Ellen to hear her mother giggle like that. It reminded her of a stream, which was not language confusion. Every ache and tiger is parenthetical. All the spices in India consummate in this galaxy swords. Discover the body, but the mind is plot twist. Her mother had opened the book randomly and cooed out the passage. Her mother had helped Ellen write this book, and recording their conversations about writing and the work of an author, then attempting to translate her daughter's mind, waiting for approval at guest ideas and concepts. They included the original words her daughter had used, and after each passage, the approximation of what she had meant as translated by her mother. The ache and trial of being an author, all the grandness of the language we used to be in the world, is the work of a body and the game of the mind. Her mother closed the book, still smiling, seeing her daughter beaming and triumphant. I never get exactly what you want to say, do I? She asked. St. Michael, Ellen answered, as warmly as she could. Ah, such a beautiful story. Really? This prom, like like we mentioned last chapter, was the one Reagan didn't want to do. Yet no, in no way could I picture how someone would write that prompt and be, oh, this is great. This is so heartwarming to me and heart-aching to me and so poignant in places and well-written. And I just, it makes me emotive. Aw, thank you. I appreciate that. It's my worst fear. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's flippin' terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that even though something awful has come to pass, it doesn't change who she is as a person. She person. Yeah. As a person. <clears throat> you guys, we got some murky continents today. <laughs> continents? Murky <laughs> continents? Cool. They just drift about here and there. Murk. Um, murk. It's <laughs> mur- like a loiter. Murk. Murk. Creepin'. Murkin'. <laughs> That's not something else. A murkin is something else, which is the best part. <laughs> oh, man. Um, agreed, though, Amy. Agreed. With what you were saying before all that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like that despite everything that's happened, she's still an author. It's still the core of who she is. And she's managed to find a way to bond with her mother and continue to be who she is. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you like it. I feel like I, I don't know. I mean, I had so much backstory when I wrote this. Like so many things I didn't say about because I was like trying to keep it short but I wanted to be 500 words and I wanted to be complete but I also wanted it to have that depth that I did actually think about all these things and I made this character and I mean like my mom would always be there for me and we are not the same person and if she had to translate my brain with whatever word salad I had it would not be the same as if I was saying it but I would really appreciate it and I know that she would try and that would be like that that's the kind of maternal bond I think that I wanted to represent here and also how, how you cope. I think the bond that you do portray, and this is one of my favorite aspects, and I don't care for mushy bond-related things when reading yeah, movies. Yeah, you do or, hate bonding. Get all that emotions, yeah. shit, whatever. You need people gritty with human. Uh, but I, I fully love that her mother is in the hospital freaking out, panicking, and you expect it. You, like, I immediately pictured every movie I've seen where the parents can't accept their child has changed. They can't accept... But immediately, they switch and look at each other and have a moment, a shared chuckle. They're they're already readjusting. And I love to see that solidarity, I guess. Even through the confusion, they can still communicate. There's still something there. And they just power through that. And I, I really love it. I, just, yeah. I love the whole friggin' story. I really do. Good. I'm I glad. love the words you use, too, when you replace things and the way you space it out. and Because they make you chuckle. It's kind of, it's fun and galaxy sword and, you know, whatever. But yeah. it's so heartbreaking and really truly scary yeah when i thought of this prompt i was thinking if i couldn't draw anymore if i couldn't play the violin if i couldn't whatever i never considered not being able to speak coherently not being able to actually convey my thoughts or emotions to someone that terrifies me far more than losing the ability to just draw or take a picture or play the violin or whatever i had so many great influences though i had just um i'd seen the still alice um mm-hmm. which is you know early onset dementia i have that book and i haven't um, read it yet oh god it's, you're gonna be so sad it's just so sad it's fantastic but it's terrible <laughs> and um 
And then I had also listened to a couple of different podcasts that had gotten me uh, aware of, of this specific thing that happens at specific times and is very underfunded in its study. And then I like found a bunch of YouTube and other articles about people and their own experience with it. And synthesia sucks. Synthesia or schizophrenia? Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, the word I wanted to use that I didn't. <laughs> Guys, this beer is hitting me. I know someone with synthesia, so I was like, that's not the same thing. Yeah, synthesia is not the same yeah, thing. You're very right. interesting also. Yeah, completely agreed. Yeah, hard to write. Interesting to write. It would be difficult. Weird to write, yeah. That would be difficult. Weird to read. <laughs> but fun. Hmm? Yeah. Depending on whether or not you I like guess. a word and the color it makes you taste. Yeah. Or, or the sound that it makes you feel. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, and so that was the one off for chapter four. Very good. All right. Very good. Thank you. And yeah. we, we end with the Amy prompt. The prompt of prompts. The prompter of the prompts. Ooh. Yes, I am the prompter of prompts. <laughs> for this or chapter. For this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so Wait, I... Wait, does that make us promptees? Ooh, promptees. I don't like that. The prompted. You can be a promptee. Or no. prompted, and I can be a promptease. No, no, I did a great portmanteau right there. <laughs> Still proud of it. <laughs> Continue, Amy. Let's just move on. Like this didn't happen. <laughs> what are you talking about? Nothing at all. So the prompt I ended up going with was a ceremony. Um, I don't have a title for this because they don't. You literally never title anything. I title a couple of things. I'm the one who never titles anything. Like literally, neither of you. Title your shit or put your name underneath it like I do. I used to. Everything's a college essay for me. I just, it's so easy when you look at it to be like, oh, this is obviously Reagan's writing, or this is obviously my writing, or this is obviously Brenna's writing. We have such distinctive styles that I don't feel the need to put my name on it. I know whose it is. <laughs> okay, but what if you have to have been in your house because of a zombie apocalypse, but then some other readers come in and then they find your works, like they find this whole folder and then they're reading through it and they're like, they'll know. I also use a different font. I'll just assume it's part of whoever's story was on top of it. It would be incoherent. I don't think we're very great writers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry about the scenario. Please, share your story. The warm waters drifted around her body, small currents pulling gently at the hairs on her arms. They float just slightly, and she lazily watches as every movement causes her hands to bob. Lazily, she reaches to stroke her stomach, Small bubbles are swiped away from the surface of her skin, and she moves her hands down in search of those that remain. A knock on the door doesn't quite startle her, but she stops her hunt and turns her head slowly to look towards the noise. It's one of the servants, dressed all in white. A ludicrous choice, she told Herman time and again. She supposed it made it easier to punish them for being filthy, as was his wont. It's almost time, the servant stammers. She nods. All right, then. Come on. The servant eases the door shut behind him and minces over to the deep tub where she reclines. Reluctantly, she sits up. He reaches for the soap, working it between his broad hands to get a lather before briskly and efficiently washing her. His fingers feel good on her body, better than her own had, if only for the inability to know where exactly they would be at any given moment. The surprise of it leaves her tingling and warm, but it all fades away when he moves to her hair. She doesn't know anyone who can't appreciate a good scalp massage when getting their hair washed. He doesn't quite make a noise when he's done, but she hears him anyway. Standing, she lets him guide her out of the tub. It would be a disaster if she were to get injured now. Once she's safely on the tiled floor, she waits for him to bring the towels from the warmed cupboard. He pats her dry instead of rubbing, and the mixture of the gentle movements with the warm, fluffy towel almost sends her dozing. This is not helped when he starts applying oil to her skin the shared warmth of his hands and her body loosening all her muscles. When he finishes, he holds out a crimson robe, gold embroidery along the sleeves and the hem. It is light, almost see-through, and the vibrancy of the color plays beautifully with the color of her skin. She doesn't have a mirror, but she feels like a queen, and she knows it makes her glow. She pads down the hall, the servant trailing behind her. His white outfit is no longer pristine, the sleeves wet at the cuffs, and a bit of oil staining the front. She hopes Herman will refrain from punishing him until later, if he must do it at all. Her eyes trace the stained glass of the windows, following patterns of suns and stars, vortices and supernova. She can feel the coolness of the amber marble under her feet, 
slowly eating away at the warmth from the bath. Tivia. She spots Herman as soon as she enters the chamber, hastily rising from the table set with wine, cheese, and fruit. She steps forward, meeting him halfway between. He lightly grasps her shoulders, his lips brushing the air by her cheeks. He touches her as little as he can get away with. You look dazzling. Your man does good work, Tivia replies with a smile, white teeth flashing in a way that could be considered aggressive. Herman's smile refuses to back down before hers, but he does not so much as flick his eyes towards the servant. He will get his due, he answers. He gestures to the table. Anything beforehand? Tivia shakes her head. I'm told this works best on an empty stomach. In fact, she pokes Herman in the chest, you were the one who told me to fast beforehand. Two whole days. Her stomach had only recently stopped growling, currently resigned to its fate of perpetual emptiness. He laughs, and it bites the air between them. Ah, well, so long as you have fasted, a small mouthful of wine will do no harm, and a few grapes wouldn't go amiss. But if you'd rather not, we can move on. He claps his hands together, and the servants who had been lining the wall, some she had noticed, and some she had not, come forward to whisk it all away before she can change her mind. Her eyes follow the wine as it exits the room. Come, shall we? Herman puts his hand at the small of her back, allowing only the pad of his thumb to touch. It is still enough to propel her towards another door in the room, and they move through it and down the preceding hallway quickly. There are five others milling about in the grand hall when they enter. Each is wearing a gold robe with scarlet embroidery, the exact opposite of her own. Herman eases into another, held for him by a servant that makes a rapid exit once her task is complete. There is no one but the seven of them when the room is sealed. Despite all her knowledge of what is to come, Tivia can't help but eye the rack with trepidation. It is made of wood, stained almost black in spots. The shackles are a cold black iron. Chains attach it to a contraption in the ceiling, and there is nothing about it that looks comforting. Still, it is without hesitation that she steps forward, nodding her head to the others as she disrobes. She carelessly lets the crimson fabric pool at her feet. Let's begin. The shackles burn as they wrap around her wrists and ankles. A leather harness is wrapped around her waist and legs. Tivia feels the worn leather as it brushes against her, sending her nerves gently humming. She makes eye contact with each of the others, wanting that human connection one last time. Herman hasn't even finished saying stand back before he starts the winch and no matter how prepared she is for the process, it still snaps her body back against the wood. She bites back a hiss of surprise, not wanting to give him the satisfaction. Soon, she is raised up off the floor, spread eagle on the wooden construct, and hovering about three or four feet off the floor. She sees them approach from the sides of her eyes, but her gaze is fixed on the eye above her. It swirls and whirls, full of fire and fury, and she feels herself start to float up towards it. Only the shackles and harness keep her from doing so. A voice is saying something, droning, but she cannot feel, smell, hear, taste anything but that which is in front of her. It consumes her, eats her from the inside out, chews up her soul, and licks away the juices. She objectively, in a corner of her mind, knows when the knife first breaks through the skin of her body. She has a memory of the smell of blood and piss and shit, but most of all blood, that is the strongest memory, and yet it is so faint and faded. She hears herself scream, but it is far, far away, and if there are words, she cannot distinguish them. Her tongue is dry and tastes of copper as she bites through it. It is only when the first strip of her flesh is laid over her eyes that the spell is broken. Then, freed from the enslavement of her soul, gifted back her pain, she knows exactly what is being done to her. She knows that there is a single blade, working from her navel towards her neck as it flays the skin from her body an inch at a time. When it has completed its task, it will work downwards, finishing at the soles of her feet. Only then will the flesh from her face be taken, along with her scalp. She stops screaming before they get there, because her vocal cords simply give out. She drowns in blood, but does not die. She feels when they start to take apart her muscles, separating the meat from the tendons, the knife scrapes at her bones, prying off every last bit of flesh to bear them. Her heart is still beating, frantically, when the lungs surrounding it are removed. Slowly, ever so slowly, a sense of coolness enters her. It starts at her heart, a point at first, then continues in broad strokes from there. It spreads outwards, 
following the curve of her ribs and the ridges of her spine, circling down through her pelvis, stroking the balls of her heels, tracing the edge of her jaw, brushing the top of her scalp. She is coated in it, and only once the cold has completely numbed her is sight returned to her. She had not even noticed when she was returned to the floor. She does not have to work hard to get free of the shackles, sliding her stripped limbs through the openings meant to hold so much more. She steps out of the harness, sticking only slightly from its coating of blood and effluvia. Once free, she looks at the others. None will meet her eyes. Not even Herman dares to raise his head. She runs her hands over herself. No bubbles to wipe away, but the slowly congealing blood has its own unique consistency. She rests her hand on her heart and feels it beat steadily. She looks up. It whirls above her, suns and stars, vortices and supernova. It rages and howls and explodes with flame and fury. She raises a hand and looks at the golden skeleton it reveals as the light passes through. Under her flesh, she is reborn. Tivia laughs, and the world cracks. It's such a good story, and it's so scary. So dark. Yeah. So graphic. Yeah, extremely. Um, when when you first shared that, I and actually, and even in the retelling, I got to be honest. Only now am I noticing that she has skin. Um, because of the whole thing, like under her, the golden skeleton. I thought that she was a golden skeleton. I I remember also thinking that she was a golden skeleton, but then you say that there's a chill. Yeah. That runs over her scalp, and I was like, "Wait, I didn't she, she was lose scalped. them?" Yeah. Right. So there's a moment of confusion, but we also know. But she, at some point, loses all sense of who and what and any yeah. time, and so she's clearly recloaked, a... recovered, re. What a ceremony! But she's also still covered in her own blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you take the skin off, it's going to get a little, little muddled, right? When you go to put, have you put skin back on? It's a messy affair. You're going to get some curdled blood somewhere. Curdled? Cur- yeah, Congealed. I was actually Congealed. really hung up on that word. Blood curd, cheese curd. What, uh, what skin what? have you put what? back on? Because <laughs> mine is not that. <laughs> well, well, good for you and your curd free. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 say the whole sentence. Go ahead and say the whole curd sentence. Curd free skin. <laughs> no, say good for you and your curd free skin. <laughs> you already said it for me. There you go. No, it's so much better, though. Uh, your brain is fucking dark, Reagan. My heart, she did this. <laughs> oh, I know. That was Amy. Was the story Amy. is very dark, too. Yeah. Amy, you're in the club. You I, have dark fucking I love eyes. it, and I remember when you first introduced this one to us, you said you were experimenting with using more descriptive things, because I know you say you don't love to use them. This is the beginning scene of her in the bathtub, and all the sensory things. You just really yeah. took the time to explore and enjoy all the sensory moments, and I loved that. I loved just... Her lazing in the bath and her watching her hands bob. I felt like I was in that bath. I re- I recall. I mean, I haven't bathed. Bath. <laughs> I've bathed. I've showered. <laughs> I've not bathed. bathed now, <laughs> I'm clean. I'm clean. Um, no, it's I'm been forever since I've taken a bath. Yeah, but as well. But I always let my hands, you know, bob in the water and the bubbles and like, fluffing them off of your skin. You know, it just. I believed that moment, and everything after that, I was uncomfortable because I don't even like massages, let alone a naked oiling. But well, what just the dude washing her first, and then also you say exactly. nobody doesn't like having their hair washed. I do not care for having my hair washed. What? Am I alone in this? I mean, yes, you are the only person I have ever met in my entire life who does not like having. I like washing my, my own hair moderately. Yeah. <laughs> I I do like a good scalp massage. I guess if I'm gonna appreciate any massage but even that i guess like when my mom touches my head and i'm like sitting on the ground and she's sitting on a chair yeah like, that's chill it's like the best part of getting your hair cut is when they wash your yeah. hair oh no it's always a weird angle on my neck okay like, well that part is yeah. that part's not, not but, fine but it's but this, like i get what you're saying though i could relate to that and i'm sure other people that are not robots like brenna never mind that i just said i don't like any massages or human contact besides yeah. the scalp massage yeah, people that are not robots like Brenna <laughs> would relate to that story as well. I love that I'm suddenly a robot and not just another expression of a human. That's cool. Yeah, sorry. I demoted you to something inferior. Also, oh, superior. superior. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, love anyway. your story, though. It's really dark. And I want to know why the ceremony is taking place. And I don't trust anyone in this story so far because I don't know what motivates them. Exactly. Yeah, I'm really curious as to the motivation. It feels also, like the world so cracks. Much, so. yeah, it feels like there's so much more and then ending mm-hmm. with and then the world cracks. Uh, 
very curious as to why that needs to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Clearly. And the fact that the rack is stained already makes me think that they've In done this ceremony before, but the world has clearly persisted. Yeah. So is it that she was the for most successful version and all the others that have stained this rack over time? Well, but then they tests, also did this like, to her and it's been hours, right? And then, But then nobody can meet her eye? I'm very curious and upset by your story. So... Um, I will say that this is somewhat inspired by the craft sequence series by Max Gladstone, because in that series, he has characters that are magicians or people of magic, however you want to describe it. Magic. Because it's very much approaching, the entire series is about approaching magic from a, like a business perspective. So really the most powerful of them are like CEOs. <laughs> um, but once you hit a certain level and the way that, that magic is, because it's also about the soul, um, is they all inevitably go through this process where they get all their flesh removed Ooh. and their skeletons. One of the main skeleton CEOs, um, like his, his, entire skeletal frame is is like lacquered in red and then um, wait hold on stop stop me there for a second just because this sounds interesting but i'm very curious now in your story also they remove her lungs but they leave her heart and from her heart the chill spreads but then she has skin again does she have skin again does she have skin again that's what i'm asking does she? i never specifically state Why? i just state that there is a gold skeleton well, but... under the flesh but the question is was was her skeleton always gold under her flesh well, you say she has a scalp. She feels it in her scalp. So I would yeah, she and then also she sees... I will say that with was the bad writing because I meant skull. Oh, okay. The okay, light okay. through her hands is how she sees her golden skeleton. Well, because you would Maybe it's the light gleaming around the halo. the bones or... of her hand. You know how I like to play I, with ambiguity, I right? Know, I know you love it. It's just I'm very corporeally tied, you know? <laughs> yeah. To my own body. You're not going to shave look, off all just of your skin you and muscle like, just to get more powerful. Just because you like the fact that you have flesh doesn't make you better than and us. And so many Again, organs. Robots. She thinks she's so... Yeah. Just so many organs. Very human. Not a robot. Not a robot. <laughs> not a robot. <laughs> I'm sorry, please tell us more about this book where the red lacquer skeleton is a anyway, serial okay. of magic. Um, <laughs> they never talk about the process uh, oh. that they go through in order to do this. And I wanted... Do they have organs? No. It's literally just a skeleton that walks around. Oh, mm-hmm. cool. That's impossible, but cool. It's called magic. magic. I get it, you guys. <laughs> um, and they're very, very powerful <laughs> beings. Like, they've end up fighting gods and winning. Well, they better be powerful beings because they took off all of their flesh. <laughs> um, that's like a huge price. I'm sorry. That's just... That's you get immortality in exchange. You're a hedonist. You like all your sensory I input. love my sensory shit. And they tend to wait until they're like, I either do this now or... Like, if you get arthritis, even after... And then you decide to go turn yourself into a skeleton, you'll still have arthritis as a mm. skeleton. Because that's the way the magic works. What I'm hearing is make extreme choices while you're young before it's too late. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, long story <laughs> short. message. Uh, you should read The Craft Sequence by Max Gladstone. This is loosely related. Inspired. This is loosely inspired because he never goes into the idea of, like, how would you go about turning a body into a skeleton? And I, I wanted to also infuse the idea that the relationship between her and Herman is is not a fun relationship. It's a tense relationship, and it's a business transaction. But there's also politics happening there. Like there's something under the surface. Yeah, and that definitely comes through. Where there's yeah. this weird, you can't tell who's above in the hierarchy. We can tell that there is one, but it almost feels like two factions. Like monarchy meets religion, and both of them being part of the ceremony. It feels very much two entities coming together for this thing. But no and it's like the potential of if she fails. I mean, like Herman is already being aggressive and he's, he's, he's being low key about it. But I mean, like the flashing of his teeth and offering her food and wine to break her fast right before the ceremony. And like, there's just so many tensions. Yeah. How many words did you have for this? It, it oh, was... I have no idea. Uh, I'd say probably just over a thousand. Okay. Cause yeah, it's, it's definitely not closer to the 500 mark, but it was still just, perfect in the amount of description that it was like it, it hints at a much larger 
schema, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's also sparse. I think that's really impressive, but I feel like you guys are better at that than I am, where you can you can wrap up an instance of something happening, but you can still imply so much more about a world that exists and people that have more to say and do beyond that. Yeah. I always struggle, hence but my five-plus page non-finished things. You, you give don't... us mythological and woodland-based child terror, though. <laughs> yeah. I, Sometimes. <laughs> I would say that you don't like dangling threads. I must wrap everything. Um, yeah. Because I remember we were talking, I want to say it was last week, maybe not on the podcast, but about... Oh, wait, we talk in real life? Surprise, guys! <laughs> we're actually really friends. Um, <laughs> it's not in my contract. <laughs> um, about how you'll start to write something and then you you find it really hard to to not like take it further. And yeah. it was last week because you were talking about how if you were to expand it, you'd have to go back and talk about how his life had fallen yeah. apart. Yeah, chapter and, three. And because you're not comfortable leaving that as starting with his life falling apart. I don't think that that's a level, a question of, I would be comfortable, but I don't think it was written to be left that way. I think it was written too much already. If I had gone, I would have to go back in and edit it to make that in itself sparser to stand on its own. But I'm not good at writing things to stand on their own. That's, that's what I struggle with. I end up filling in the need more filling in like there's a way to write it where you don't give enough and that's good and then there's a way to write it where you gave too much and now we have questions and we're confused right write more like i I tend to go too far which i do in art too i I do too much i have to edit back that's that's why we practice because the more you write and the more you experiment with it and keep yourself with different boundaries and test yourself with different ideas that's how you hone your craft yeah and which is and i i i also remember reading your story i was like did we talk too much? <laughs> yeah. I remember when we first read these stories, I legit thought you guys had talked about it because you guys had so similar stories. The, this time? This yes, cycle? for chapter four. Hmm. Because, yeah. I talk a lot about, like, the, the surroundings. That's and true. The, yeah. And, a lot of... and yours does have a lot of ceremony to it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it does, like, they it's, are very, they're very different stories, they dress, but they have... They get treated a certain way. They have a vein that runs through them that is very similar. Yeah. So. This week, I'm the odd one out on Sesame Street. Oh, honey, you're always the odd one out. Aw, thanks. <laughs> All right. I think. Because well, you're no longer allowed on Sesame Street, you know they barricaded that. Whatever. Oscar sneaks me in. So, so we should, whose prompts were next? Oh, I think they're mine, aren't they? Yeah, they are yours. Crap. Let me, uh, let me pull I, them up. This was, this was a fun chapter for it. It was like dark and then sad and then dark again. Yeah, it was pretty dark. I, yeah. yeah, feeling so good it about chapter emotive. three and four. Really just bringing those winter heart swells. You know. <laughs> we're just looking after your mental well-being, listeners. Like, yeah. we're here for you. Does the weather feel bleak and unending? Somehow more extreme than it's ever been before? Listen, Dustin, you'll feel the same. Perpetuity. <laughs> uh... But don't worry, next time we've got some new flavorful things to brighten. Flavorful? What, you don't, you, you, you're you don't like your stories? all things but food? You don't want to like taste your story? You know I like everything and I taste all the words. Stop claiming things with your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say nope, it. Nope, say it again. Say it again louder. Don't claim things That's with your mouth. That's a new cross stitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. So... If you would like to write along with us and be inspired by the prompts and torture yourself with prompts like we do, the next group of prompts are, one, they had never noticed a door there before, two, a reunion, three, if you could physically occupy an object for a time, dot, 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 figure that one out. Cool. Those are the prompts, guys. Yeah, you have a fortnight to write them along with us, slash we had a fortnight to write them. And uh, I will post more stuff on the social medias. Well, I'm not alone. Let's be honest. They know technology better than I do. We'll all post stuff on social media. Yeah, but you're the only one who's on the Facebooks. So if you're on the Facebooks, blame Bretta. (laughs) If you're on them, blame Or address me directly with respect, you motherfucker. Oh, don't, no. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> totally going in. No. Nope. Yeah, own it, own that it. Was, that was bad to say. Bad to say. It was old bad. Okay, thank you everybody for listening. And also, you can find us on social media. Um, I'm sorry, I cursed at you all for no reason. Check us out on continentalwritingclub.com, on the pod beans, and all the things. Pod yeah. beans? Pod really? beans. Just pod bean. Podbean.com. There's more than one bean in a pod. Yeah, but it just says pod bean. It's the pod bean. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
this has obviously been a great chapter for you all. I highly recommend. Uh, what do you recommend, Brenda? Where are we going with that? Just putting it off right now, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yep, getting just a little bit drunk. Like maybe meeting up with that. friends because it's winter, and then you just listen to some weird podcast, and then trying to discuss it with your friends, and then also, but just drinking to forget it. I don't know. Okay, we're gonna end. and and and, and this soon. bit of rambling has been brought to you by a very awkward Bretta. I just feel nervous. TM. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, it's raining here, so I'm going to say stay dry. Stay dry. Really? Yeah. Wait, hold on. It's only raining here. It is only raining in this exact point in space and time. It is raining nowhere else on this no, okay, entire but, like, planet. like, so many other people are going to listen to this. Literally around the... And then... It, they're not even going to listen to it today. They're going to listen to it a week from now. Yeah, and when, you're just, like, really counting on the weather. It's like, oh, stay dry. Well, in it's general, like when you it's a say, good... It's good... It's yeah, good advice. Stay dry. Stay slightly tipsy. Don't be murky. Oh, really <laughs> well, I like don't be murky. I like that so much. <laughs> be murky if you want to be murky. All right. Nobody tell anybody else what to do or feel. Have a very great day and be however you want to be. End the podcast. Just hit the end button. Yay. Bloopers. <laughs> you don't need me singing on every episode. Blasphemy. Murky. They're murky Murky teeth. Murky teeth. <laughs> no. Well, because. Go to your room. Yes. Go to your room. That, that right there was like, but I don't have a room. We share the same room, I know. It's a mess. It's a hot mess at the end of a word. It's ditching. Mm, no. <laughs> Yeah, every time. I mean, if anyone's fetishizing my sniffling nose, please raise your standards. I made it weird. I made it weird. <laughs> it's like you know I'm gonna fuck up. <laughs> it's like you have all the faith in me and no world at all. Yeah, right on, man. <sighs> too early. Too soon. Was it? Always too soon. Or if you think I can't turn that into a comical blooper, <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs>